The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers. You've been warned. No, seriously, there, there's spoilers and, and foul language. Yeah. Welcome to $20 Ticket, where we tell you how much we would pay to watch Upgrade. My name is Kerwin, and joining me today is Jason. What up, Jason? Not much. How about you, Kerwin? I'm good, man. What are you drinking today? Ice cold, Coors Light. Also with us is TJ. What up, TJ? Hey, Kerwin. Uh, what are you drinking today? I am drinkless right now. Would you like something? No, I think we'll we'll wait a sec. All right. Also with us is Dominic. What up, Dominic? What up, Kerwin? What are you drinking today? I am drinkless as well because it is still morning. <laughs> People don't need to know that. (laughs) Thanks. Fucking God. (laughs) Making Jason look like an alcoholic. Uh, And rounding out the panel today is Jordan. What up, Jordan? Hey, Kerwin. What are you drinking today? Uh, You know I'm drinking a Frosty Guinness. Which is perfectly acceptable at 10.50 a.m. on a Saturday. Yeah. Brunch boys. There we go. Uh, Today, we are talking about Upgrade, released June 1st, 2018. It stars Logan Marshall Green, Simon Maiden, Betty Gabriel, and Harrison Gilbertson. It's directed by Lee Whannell, and it's distributed by OTL Releasing, Blumhouse Tilt, and Mad Mad Entertainment. Let's talk about uh, our experience. Jordan, what is your experience? You know, I didn't watch Upgrade till yesterday morning, and I was pleasantly surprised. Didn't expect it, but yeah, happy to dive into it. Uh, TJ, what is your experience? Uh, I also watched Upgrade yesterday and rented it from Amazon Prime, and that's it. <laughs> we got a winner here, Kerwin. <laughs> Dominic, what is your experience? I believe me and you went to go see it in theaters uh, back in 2018. I think I told you about it, and I thought the trailer looked good. So we just went and saw it at, what, the plaza? So, yeah. It was a great movie. Jason, what about you? I watched this, I believe it was Wednesday. Um, I rented it on Prime as well for $3.99, and I kind of want that money back. Uh, I watched it uh, in bed (laughs) with Elizabeth, and she was like kind of on her phone and watching a little bit, going back, watching a little bit. And um, she was actually kind of interested in the movie, more than I was. So... Um, Clever girl. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she was like paying attention to shit and like kept like making comments. I was like, you're really, I was like, I thought you were on your fucking phone. And she's like, no, I'm watching. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then, uh, yeah, that was my experience. Just bring Elizabeth over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she can take my place probably. <laughs> Uh, my experience, yes, uh, I did see this in the theaters with Dominic. Um, I was actually reluctant to watch this movie at first because I had heard nothing about it. But, you know, Dominic was just like, hey, man, we got to check this movie out. It's like a sci-fi, uh, uh, like, thriller kind of movie. I was like, you know what, cool, whatever. So after work, I met up with them, and then uh, we saw this, I think it was, like, release day, like, Thursday or Friday or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so we saw it the day, like, the day or the week it came out. And um, my expectations, I didn't have any going in to see it uh, the very first time, but I did enjoy it. And then uh, for the recording of this podcast, I watched this uh, about two days ago, uh, Thursday night, um, so that I could do my research Friday. Um, and I will let you know how I feel about it. But yeah, that's uh, that's my experience with Upgrade. Before we get into behind the scenes, Jordan, hit us with the financials. Sure thing, Kerwin. All right. So Upgrade had about a $3 million budget, according to the numbers. Uh, U.S. box office was... Almost 12 million at $11,977,133, or 
or adjusted for inflation today would be $12,042,863. In its opening weekend, it pulled in over $4.6 million. So when it went international, I found a bit of a discrepancy between the numbers and box office mojo. The numbers says that internationally, Upgrade brought in almost five million and box office mojo says that it brought in a little over 4.7 million. So there is some discrepancy between those two. If we're going with the numbers, the total box office revenue was $16,976,561. And if we're going with Box Office Mojo, it was $16,706,680. Now, when this movie came to the home market for DVD and Blu-ray sales, it brought in an extra slightly over $1.5 million. Now, this is Logan Marshall Green's sixth largest grossing film to date. Fun fact, out of the 13 films that he's credited with being an actor, he only has two leading man credits. His first one was The Invitation in 2016 and Upgrade in 2018. Anybody wanna take a guess at what Logan Marshall Green's top grossing film to date is? Spider-Man. Is this, wait, we're talking about the actor? Yep. Spider-Man. Venom. That's Tom Hardy. <laughs> Mad Max. Inception. <laughs> no idea. I have no idea. Dark Knight Rises. Um, it is actually Spider-Man. Good yeah. job. He plays Bryce, a.k.a. the Shocker, and that brought in over $880 million followed by Prometheus, where he played the character Charlie Holloway, which brought in over $402 million. Now, Upgrade opened in at number six during the theaters. Number one at the time, any guesses? It was 2018, right? Yeah. Probably Endgame. Well, didn't Spider-Man also come out in 2018? I think that was in July, though. That wasn't on the list. I think that's Oh, this movie came out before Spider-Man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Spider-Man was 2017. But yeah. the thing was in July. Yeah. I've never seen the poster. Yeah, so like this was 2018. 7, 7, 17 or something like that. That's tough. All right, so what do you get? So at number two in the box office was my favorite Marvel superhero, Deadpool 2. Oh. oh. And number one at the box office at the time was Solo, a Star Wars story. Wait, number one? Number one at the box office at the time. Oh, because it came out like May 26 mm -hmm. or something, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Upgrade only lasted in theaters uh, for about six weeks. So it was number six on week one, number ninth, week two, 15th in week three, 27th in week four, 29th in week five, and 34th in week six. Damn. <laughs> That's a steep drop off. I wonder like where that drop off stems from. Dang. I didn't even know this was in theaters. I don't remember this being advertised or anything. Yeah. I didn't even know that this was in theaters until, Dom, you just said that you saw it in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm the only one that looked it up. I'm the number one fan. You know, I'm in the Logan Marshall fan group, you know. <laughs> but we're all in the Tom Hardy fan yeah. group. So. They're, they're adjacent, you know. Yeah, I guess. Logan Marshall Green looks like he's a budget Tom Hardy that would be casted by the Hallmark Channel or something. It literally took me 20 minutes into this film to realize that I was not already watching Tom Hardy. They're exactly the same. 
It's not a Tom Hardy enthusiast over here. Well, anything else? <laughs> nope, that's it for the financials. Right. Thanks for indulging me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Jason, uh, what do the people think of this movie? So according to Rotten Tomatoes, 88% of the critics liked it, um, giving it an average rating of 7.3 out of 10 with 193 reviews. So much higher than I anticipated. So mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes gave us a fresh rating. So the audience, uh, 87% of the audience gave it a average rating of 4 to 5 with over 5,000 ratings. So almost just one percentage point off. I looked up some of the quotes in Rotten Tomatoes, but they're all super positive. So I was like, I'm not going to write any of these down. <laughs> so Does it hurt you to say those out loud? Yeah, some of them are like, you know, every movie, there's always a handful of critics that just like shit all over it, and there's like something yeah. funny. Yeah. This one, like I look, they're all fresh ratings. They're all about a sentence, 10, 12 words, and it's all super positive. So I'm like, fuck this. I'm not writing any of this down. Oh, I mean, at some point, <laughs> do you look inwards and say, Maybe the problem is me. Not with this one. <laughs> um, I'm pretty confident. <laughs> Blood's boiling right now. <laughs> IMDb wasn't as nice. They gave it an average rating of 7.5 out of 10 with over 172,000 reviews. Uh, with the demographics, they're all relatively similar. The ones that stick out are the under 18 group. They gave it uh, a little bit higher of an 8.0 out of 10. Um, but there's only about 230 reviews in that age group. Um, out of the 172,000. So, yeah, those are the ratings. Let's get into behind the scenes and talk about the writer and director of this movie. His name is uh, Lee Wanell. Other projects he's directed are Insidious Chapter 3, The Invisible Man, and he's directing the upcoming Wolfman movie, as well as the Escape from New York remake. Uh, both movies are in pre-production. He also wrote the first three Saw films and is an executive producer on that entire series. Um, and he's actually the star of the first Saw movie as well. So he's the star of that movie. Oh, nice. I didn't even know that, yeah. But most importantly, more important than anything in the world. Damn, I wish Muggo was here for this. He is the cargo pilot in Aquaman. So the scene where Arthur and Mara jump out of the plane right before we start playing Ocean to Ocean and shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's God. the guy flying the plane. Oh, shit. Ocean to Ocean. That's awesome. Ocean to Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I guess uh, he and James Wan are homies in real life. And according to The Hollywood Reporter, after visiting the set of Aquaman, uh, he kind of felt that, you know, he'd be open to directing a big budget superhero movie one day. Uh, moving on to development, uh, before this film was called Upgrade, it was called STEM. About this story, Wanell says that he wasn't interested in turning this into some sort of a superhero movie and that he wanted to tell the, uh, quote, taxi driver version of this story. For anybody that doesn't know, Taxi Driver is a 2004 action comedy film starring Queen Latifah and Jimmy Fallon. That is incorrect, <laughs> Kerwin, and you better fucking correct yourself. I was like, this does not make sense at all. Like, <laughs> there's no comedic elements. <laughs> nope, that's it. <laughs> I was like, what in the fuck are we talking about? Okay, okay, it's a Scorsese film with De Niro in there it, okay? Go. Thank you. All right, all right. Um, he wanted the battle our protagonist faces to be with uh, two entities fighting over the same physical body and not just having it be uh, an external struggle. Uh, he worked on this script for six years before the movie's released, and according to a TechCrunch.com interview, Wanell got the idea for his story after having read a magazine article about where tech is going and imagine a quadriplegic using said technology to walk again while being controlled by a computer. 
While we do have things today like exoskeletons that assist people with their motor movements, he wanted to focus the story on a more internal mechanism, hence the chip that's implanted in our main character's spine. Uh, 1L also spoke to a surgeon who pointed out uh, the theory that one day a computer could in fact help you walk again. Mm -hmm. The director also researched the technological singularity in which according to Wikipedia, technological growth becomes uncontrollable and irreversible resulting in uh, unforeseeable changes to human civilization. For example, human and tech combining to become one. He took time to look at both the good and the bad of our reliance on technology, our ability to heal, you know, the technology that helps us and assists us. Um, you know, he, he definitely looked at that as the good part, but he also looked at the bad side, which is our over-reliance on automation, where we may potentially be, quote, designing ourselves into irrelevance. So if you have a car that drives you to a job and a machine does all the work, do you really need to get in the car in the first place? And do you really need to be at the job, et cetera? So we kind of look at that. Um, he was confident in his writing for the movie, but when it came to directing it, he was a little apprehensive because while he's well-versed in making horror movies, he was worried about the reaction he'd get from science fiction fans. He'd seen how different sci-fi communities pick apart franchises like Star Trek and Star Wars and was worried um, you know, he'd kind of look like a tourist or a fraud operating in a lane that wasn't really his. But after you know doing screenings and talking to viewers, he realized that the people he spoke to were glad that he showed them something new and different, and that he'd be okay after that. So that's that's an interesting take, you know. Like he he operates mainly in the horror genre. Like how do you feel about you know a director who's kind of well established himself in one particular genre being a little like afraid of jumping into the sci-fi realm? Because like we know all that shit, like comic book movies, science fiction movies. Like people rip these things to shreds. Like what do you guys think about that? I think it would make me want to do my research and make me a little nervous and make me want to talk to a lot of people and get their take because you're right, people that are real enthusiasts are going to just, like you said, tear it to shreds. So I don't know. Yeah, with horror movies, you get a little more leniency, I think. Um, but with science fiction, I just feel like people are going to just scrutinize the hell out of it. So you got to be real careful. So maybe a little nervous going into it. Mm -hmm. Especially when you have like so many, you know, franchises that have been around for like decades and you have like generations of fans that have had so much time to tear this apart. And like you're just a director and you're just jumping into the game for the first time. Like that's got to be intimidating for sure. You know, I appreciate a healthy sense of fear in him because to me that means that he's not just going to call it in. He is going to do what you what you said, Jason, and, and take the time and do his research and make sure that everything is the way he wants it before he puts it out there. If he wasn't afraid, then I don't think he would care and just, yeah, you know, cares. whatever. Yeah. Um, and according to THR, uh, 1L says that uh, he had to actually fight to get the ending right for this movie. So during production, they were on overtime, and at that point, he was having producers kind of breathing down his neck about finishing up, and the line producer is literally walking up behind him to make sure he doesn't go over budget with any more shots while he's filming. You know, the line producer tells him that he can only get one more shot because they're two hours over. So 1L does you know, he does one more shot, but it wasn't right in his eyes. So he looks around and he tells everybody, you know, he needs one more take. And the line producer says no. And then he kind of goes off and says in this interview, he says, quote, listen, six months from now, you guys are going to be off working on another movie. Guess where I'm going to be? I'm going to be stuck in a fucking editing room wishing I got in this fucking shot. So, you know, after he kind of put his foot down and told them like he had to get the ending the way he wanted, uh, they somehow moved the schedule around the producers and, uh, they managed to help him get the shot that he was looking for. So uh, according to him in his interview, he says that the ending that we see in the movie is uh, the, the exact ending that he was hoping to create within the story. 
onto the cast. Uh, we got Logan Marshall Green as Gray Trace. Uh, like you mentioned before, Jordan, uh, he was the shocker in Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, the first one that Vulture kills. Uh, and he's also Trey Atwood on the OC. Yeah, never seen that show, but he's on the OC. Never seen it. Really? Yeah, never seen it. Is this it. not one of those goofs? No, I've never oh, seen okay. the OC. Yeah, never seen it. I've been there. Fucking taxi driver over here. Yeah. I keep thinking about that comment too, man. I'm like, Travis, <laughs> Bi- I think about Travis Bickle in it, and I'm like, even drawing the parallel with the gun that comes out, you know, on his arm, and then these guys have the gun inside of the, like, there's some similarities you can draw. Sorry, I keep thinking about it right now. Now you're good. <laughs> you didn't mention Jimmy Fallon or Queen Latifah, though. So. Ah, keep going with the cast. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, they made certain when making this movie that the quadriplegic side of it was taken very seriously. Uh, Marshall Green spent time with the quadriplegic to understand uh, their life story as well as their daily routine and rituals. Uh, the actor felt that it was his responsibility to portray this realistically because this is something that people do experience in real life, and the makers of this movie didn't want to come off as completely insensitive to that experience. According to IMDb, there were comparisons to this movie in Venom. I know, TJ, we talked about this off mic, um, which also came out the same year, not only because of the similar premise, but because, like you said, TJ, homeboy looks like Tom Hardy. According to Wikipedia, uh, Logan Marshall Green uh, based the physical robotic movement of his character on Overwatch character Zenyatta, who's like a robotic monk of some sort. I don't play Overwatch, but from what I saw, he looks like Robot Dalsim from Street Fighter. So that's you're uh, you're pretty close to spot on there. Okay, that's you play Overwatch. Uh, not actively, but I am familiar with the character. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. See, I'm glad you're here. See, yeah. I I own it. Don't play it. Never played it. Never opened it. Yeah, we could we could go down a full tangent with uh, Blizzard and Activision with oh. what's going on now, but uh, yeah, a lot of uh, player um, base has been dropping off on their games. Hmm. Gotcha. That's why I play Street Fighter. Uh, moving on, we got Betty Gabriel as Detective Cortez. She's Georgina in Get Out. Uh, she's the housekeeper that gets possessed by the grandma, and uh, she's also in the Netflix series Clickbait. And I think you were watching that, right, TJ? No, no. Kyle, Kyle was. Oh, Kyle was watching it. Oh, so you lied. I, don't know. I didn't send that to you. Yeah, you did. You said Clickbait. You said you were watching Clickbait. I have not seen one episode. Wait, so Kyle said that to Prove you? Prove that to me. No, shit. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. Receipts. Receipts. Did I? If I did, I was like saying like, oh, in this house, people are watching clickbait. Oh, fuck. Oh, maybe, that, maybe that's yeah. why. Okay, shit. Now I feel bad. Now, now Kyle's like, can't believe fucking Kurt left Does me Does Kyle out. like it? Is it good? Mm-hmm. Okay. It I forget what it is about. He tried to explain it to me once. Okay. Batman in the household. All right. You're okay. I'm wrong. You're right. Can't wait to leave this but in I the know. episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I am not editing this shit out. <laughs> now I'm like sweating. So could you lean <laughs> into the microphone and say that again, please? Like, like, fucking lie detector test. <laughs> I think TJ's like secretly watching it. Just doesn't want anyone to know. No, I, I seriously. I couldn't tell you what it's about. It was just kind of like on in the background. I, like Gus and Kyle were watching clickbait. Okay. And maybe I wanted to sound like I was actively watching something other than the Real Housewives of whatever. Hey man, we gotta we gotta make the content. It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. So back to Betty Gabriel. She did audition for this role and was cast before Get Out was released. Um, and that movie actually gained her more exposure in the industry. Uh, when casting this character, Winnell says that he wanted another individual similar to Gray, who was also a more analog person in this more digital world. Somebody who still like to look people in the eye and deal with them directly. Quote, uh, she has an old soul presence where you feel comfortable with her. Uh, next, we got Harrison Gilbertson as Aaron Keane. 
he's in uh, Need for Speed. Uh, I never seen that movie, uh, but the character he plays is known as Little Pete. Never seen it. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, that's uh, that's Homeboy. Yeah, ten dollars. Uh, <laughs> fun fact: Little Pete in the video game universe is actually related to Little Mac from the uh, Mike Tyson's boxing. For real? No, I was lying. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. We need like a soundbite where like somebody gets like got by something. It's like, got gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Got him. Gotcha. Journalist. Damn, you got me. I was so intrigued. Damn. I was, I was, to... I was like, oh yeah. Smash Brothers. Little Mac. <laughs> Get that Mike Tyson's punch out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, uh, we have Melanie Vallejo as uh, Asha Trace. She plays Madison Roca. AKA the Mystic Blue Ranger in the 2006 season of Power Rangers, which was Power Rangers Mystic Force. She was a Power Ranger. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. She's like their $20. one success story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have Jason David Frank, but, you know, he didn't really do too much. Careful. Careful. <laughs> he, does, he does a lot of like. He still does his he signings. Does, and he does fans' events. He's arguably the most popular ranger, of course, but yeah, I, I don't say. know of any other rangers that have gone on to have a film career. I don't know of any either. Yeah, That's me neither. Yeah. I, I can't think of any either. Can you say he has a film career? Like, I mean, he does like B-movie type stuff, B and C-movie type stuff, martial arts type stuff, and he's still kind of like riding that like Power Ranger Super Sentai wave. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, till the day he dies. Yeah. He's sure. actually going to be at LA Comic Con this oh, year. Yeah. Let's, let's go. I just want to meet him. But uh, yeah, shout out to Mystic Force, uh, Maji Ranger, shout out to the Sentai people out there. Uh, we got to do that Power Rangers movie review, the 90s one. Yeah. With Ivan Ooze? Yeah, that's a good yeah. ass movie. Yeah. Uh, next, we have. One uh, line that always sticks out to me from the movie is like, I had a week back. About a week back. That, that movie's I'll never good. Forget that. that movie's good. <laughs> that movie's fucking good. Uh, next, we have uh, Simon Maiden as STEM. Uh, the word STEM is actually uh, Dutch for voice. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, To prepare for this role, Simon Maiden actually went through rigorous physical training to mold his body into the shape of a computer chip. I'm sorry. I can't even say Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. If I can say that with a straight face. I'm like, really? (laughs) You're the host. I'm like, oh, wow, yeah. Do you want to get one more shot? See if you can do it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll do my best to believe it. To prepare for this role, Simon Maiden actually went through rigorous physical training to mold his body into the size and shape of a computer chip, which is pretty impressive. For reals? Wow. Yeah. Wow. I yeah. want to know what that rigorous training was. Wow. Yeah. Just curling up in the fetal position or... I would have to imagine it would involve clenching your sphincter so hard <laughs> that you just start collapsing in on yourself. He's got to fit in this dude's back the whole movie. that's the first time we've said the word sphincter on this podcast. <laughs> Probably. <Yeah. Sphincter. laughs> Which is weird. Like, you think we would have got there by now. Uh, mm-hmm. We've said some mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, yeah we've said some <laughs> shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we would have gotten there by now. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Uh, next, we have Benedict Hardy, no relation to Tom Hardy, as uh, Fisk Bratner. Uh, he was Captain Daniels in Hacksaw Ridge, and he's also in The Invisible Man. So we got a lot of Invisible Man popping up, that universal uh, horror universe that was supposed to be a universe. I don't know if it still is. They're trying. They are trying, yes. Invisible Man did well, right? 
Yes. Yeah. The ratings were good, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, lastly, we have uh, Christopher Kirby, no relation to Kirby, uh, from Nintendo. <laughs> Wait, you okay? You all right? Yeah, I'm sorry. That joke really sucked. <laughs> Did you copy that from yeah. anywhere? Yeah. Well, you know me, man. Uh, you know, just trying to just trying to be a superstar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe I'm just living in dreamland. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Uh, so <laughs> this guy plays Mauser in uh, Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions. Uh, so black dude that get his gets his face cut up. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. he's in uh, he's in Matrix two and three, and he's also got an uncredited role in everybody's favorite movie forty three terrible piece of shit perhaps he was Hugh Jackman's nutsack <laughs> could be maybe yeah I don't know yeah but that's it for the cast let's move on to production uh, the setting of this movie is in the United States but it was shot in Melbourne Australia the director's hometown they shot there for 30 days on making the film Wanell says that uh, says in his interview that he had the freedom of making a smaller independent movie with the scope of a larger sci-fi movie except that the budget was according to him very low Winnell says that the goal here was to set this movie in a very near future that the audience could picture themselves living in, hence the various present day elements. So you got the cars, buildings, etc. And uh, speaking about the older tech uh, in a newer world, he says that a lot of future movies make the assumption that in 20 or 30 years time, every single person is driving a future vehicle when in reality you'd probably still see people driving you know their honda civics or other you know shitty cars in 20 30 years you're not going to see you know new york completely paved over and you know redone with futuristic buildings you're still going to have buildings from the 19th and 20th century along with uh, future architecture he wanted to scale it back and keep things believable and it wasn't just like a budgetary decision it was also a creative decision we want to make this world believable in order to achieve this look and feel, as well as the uh, various science fiction aspects of the movie with such a low budget, he took inspiration from the uh, 80s sci-fi movies he grew up with, like Terminator, uh, choosing to utilize higher concept visual sci-fi elements strategically and at key moments in the movie. He says that if other science fiction movies could get away with it back in the 80s without the advantages of CGI, they could do the same thing today as well. Do you think they should have like, had one line in there to kind of say that? Because I found myself watching it and like kind of wondering why there's like regular cars and then there's these like, like I know he's working on something vintage. I understand that part mm -hmm. too. But like you see like, like a Toyota Yaris like just on the freeway too next to this futuristic car. I feel like one line there could have been like he's working on his old car. You know his wife says something. It's like well I'm not the only one. Look, people are still driving their old cars too. Like if he would have just said that, that would have been like oh okay now I understand. There's a mix. It's I don't know just something. Uh, the officer though. Um she does say that like she also drives a regular car also because she doesn't like having like the automated car either she did say that yeah, okay yeah. i must have missed that then yeah. okay when he first goes over there to figure out what's going on in the case that's right yeah that's right she does say that okay you're He's right kind right. of like an ass to her that's why like both of their cars are like old analog and or not analog but like they're not electrical that's why she could yeah. hack into it that's and why there's also and in the chase scene like yeah. stem mentions that like oh her car is not electric or whatever yeah and then, like, you see, like, 50 other cars on the road that are all, like, present-day cars. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And, but, like, you're right, like, to explain that. Yeah. yeah. But I also, like, her car could be analog as part of the police department. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. That's to avoid hacking or something. That's what I was kind of thinking, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the net, I mean, they must have seen the net quite a few times. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
regarding the fight scenes, uh, the director says that they were the toughest part to direct in the movie. Uh, the time constraints, all the choreography, the rehearsals, and the physical demands of filming these sequences in a more robotic fashion as opposed to a typical organic fighting style made it a lot harder. You had multiple takes and everything had to be performed precisely and perfectly, so the short shooting schedule really worked against them in that regard. About the style in which these fight scenes were shot, uh, Winnell says that because you had computers fighting against each other, they had the stunt coordinator train the actors in a, uh, quote, stilted, very clipped fighting style so that they appeared to be more mechanical and precise than human. You know how we see the fight scenes and like the camera kind of tracks the actor and whatnot. Uh, they achieve this by strapping a phone to Logan Marshall Green underneath his clothes and the camera using uh, the phone's gyroscope would lock onto the phone and subsequently the actor. Uh, the cameras they use are uh, smaller and lighter ARRI or ARRI Alexa mini cameras uh, mounted onto an uh, AR Revolution Steadicam rig. So they have them on a gyroscope. And that's kind of how you you know maintain that fixed position on the actor. Uh, the fight choreographer on this movie is stuntman slash actor Chris Weir. Uh, he also serves as a fight double for Logan Marshall Green in this movie. Other projects he's worked on are I Frankenstein, uh, Invisible Man again. Uh, Thor Ragnarok, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and most importantly, X-Men Origins Wolverine. So they did have some good fight scenes in Origins, I feel like. The fight scenes were good in that movie. The fight scenes were probably the only good thing in that movie. uh, Blasphemy, Ryan Reynolds, was great in that movie. Okay, oh, okay, the fight scenes and Ryan Reynolds. Well, they had Scott Atkins as a stunt double, Um, so that contributed to the athleticism, I feel like. But yeah, the fight scenes I feel like were really good. Trash. As far as like, I don't know. Yeah, movies booty. Yeah, yeah, yeah movies trash. Up, but yeah. I, I enjoy a good choreo. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, the cinematographer for this movie, the uh, upgrade, is uh, Stefan Desio. Uh He also worked on The Invisible Man and a bunch of other productions I'm not familiar with. But he did do two music videos for Beyonce off her 2013 self-titled album, uh, Ghost and Mine, featuring Drake. So I guess this guy is also a certified lover boy. <laughs> I don't get that comment. <laughs> Looking at you guys' reactions, you're like... <sighs> now I know why it's been so long since I've been on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now let's get into some sequel talk. Uh, when asked if he'd ever make a sequel to Upgrade, Wanell says that he's tried to avoid those thoughts and uh, he just wanted to make a standalone film. To already be planning a sequel, you know, at the time of this movie's release, he says would be an assumption of success. You know, we see a lot of movie studios get ahead of themselves thinking they're like, oh, there's gonna be a sequel, people are gonna watch this movie, blah, blah, blah. And then of course, we never see what happens next, Independence Day Resurgence. Um, also, uh, it wasn't written with the sequel in mind. Uh, that was the approach he took with Saw, but the franchise that movie became had more to do with producers than anything else. He says, quote, to us, the ending of Saw was the very definition of a cut to black film, but then we got a lesson in commerce. So basically, it's usually the producers that want that sequel. So sometimes the director is just like, hey, I'm gonna tell a single story, and you know, if that money's coming in, studio's gonna have something to say about it. In February 2020, though, the director says that he'd love to make a sequel with a bit more money. And according to Wikipedia, although there is no film sequel planned, there is a TV series plan with the premise being that an evolved version of STEM and a new host are being used by the government to curb your enthusiasm, just kidding, to curb criminal activity. 
So RoboCop? Basically. Okay. But that's it for uh, behind the scenes. Yeah. Sweet. Now that we got behind the scenes out of the way, let's move on to Trash and Treasure. Jordan, what is your Trash and Treasure with Upgrade? You know, I didn't have much in the ways of trash, uh, shockingly, this movie. But that doesn't mean that I don't have any. So let's start off with the smart cars. And I know we've addressed this a little bit earlier. And I know what the director was going for. But there were two fucking smart cars this entire movie. The one the wife, Asha, was driving in the beginning. And the one that Stem used to crash into the police officer towards the end of the movie. Other than that, it's Civics. It's Lexuses. It's any other Fords or whatever. So... At first, I thought when the movie started that they did like this really cool twist because he's working on that engine and you're like, okay, so this is kind of like modern time. And then his wife pulls up in this automated self-driving car and I'm like, ah, you got me there. That's cool, man. So I expected everybody to be driving these fucking things. But sure enough, they get out on the road and it's just everything they have out there today. It kind of reduces the uh, the significance of his reluctance to adopt uh, new age technology mm. by having so many other people do it. You know, we talked earlier about how the uh, the, the detective says that she also still kind of like likes to use older vehicles and not smart cars. Yeah. It would have been cool if like there was some sort of like subculture that was reluctant to adopt uh, a lot of the new tech or was kind of more in love with the old technology. I guess to maintain like I guess the impact of him being reluctant to also adopt it. A good majority of the movie takes place in like New Crown because either it's that or he's back at his apartment trying to you know dodge the cops questions yeah. so a lot of the questioning or a lot of the things that are happening is he's investigating a New Crown because that's where these low life criminals are hiding and that's like the low tech area yeah okay so that's and like the scapegoat I guess to not use the vehicle so much but once you get on the freeway that's when you possibly might see the higher tech vehicles and you both raise a good point but let's draw a parallel between what we have out there today let's draw a parallel to Tesla out there today's modern fancy automated car you can drive down the street and see more than just two out there so while i appreciate the fact that he kind of wants to showcase that there isn't like this mass adoption of these newer high-tech vehicles it just seemed to stand out in a bad way that there are only two of these fancy cars out there if you would have, if he would have sprinkled even some CGI ones going down the freeway, I just felt it would have been a lot more believable. But because there were only two, it just kind of pulled me out of the experience. And that's a good point to bring up because, like, we talk about how, oh, in twenty or thirty years, you're not going to see so many smart cars. But like, you're right though. In twenty or thirty years, you will also see a lot more mm-hmm. because even like you're saying today, as an example, like we see a ton of Teslas. Yeah. So yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. It's just on the cusp of like that breakthrough as far as like it being over flooded with like these new vehicles. Maybe they're just getting into that stage. Maybe that's another interpretation, maybe. The other thing I would have expected to see are like something in between the regular cars and like these super, right? Cause like they wouldn't have jumped into these automatic cars like right away, right? There would have been iterations before that. And I think you can kind of see it with, it's it's very subtle, but like the glass panels on some cars have that hexagonal a pattern on it that kind of it's like oh this is futuristic but yeah you don't really see like the middle step between my ford escape right. and this new dash car that you know completely 
that can completely drive itself. It's it's one end of the spectrum or the other. And like realistically, like if we're talking about like twenty or thirty years in the future, like every old model car, air quotes, should have been like a Model X yeah. or something. And then every future car should have been like solar solar panel autopilot car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Or if solar panel technology was a thing, how about retrofit kits that allowed older model cars to experience the benefits of n- newer technology. You don't see that. Yeah, Back to the Future, too. A- absolutely. Yeah, it covers that, yeah. Yeah, Mr. Fusion uh, and the uh, and the the flying. Yeah. Um, so not necessarily a bad thing, but it definitely pulled me out of the experience because for the longest time I had written down in my notes, I was like, we got one, one s- super smart car, this entire movie, and it just so happens to belong to his wife, and they're like, oh yeah, it's here's another one, which... Let's face it, it's probably that same damn car, you know, that they just reused. But yeah, so, and, and freaky, that guy's just sitting in the back of his car and then all of a sudden it gets taken over. I mean, it definitely made me reconsider wanting to buy like a full self-driving vehicle because you know that kind of stuff could happen in the future if, if uh, engineers and designers aren't careful. I thought the same thing. Yeah. Like yeah. imagine like if we have Sandra Bullock in the net to stop the gatekeeper yeah. software, yeah. like that could happen to every self-driving car. Yeah, That's absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the next trash that I had was his robotic movement. You know, I understand why the director did it. It was clearly to allow the audience to differentiate between when Gray was in control versus when Stem was in control. However, Gray is not a robot and has full range of motions. So it seems a little ridiculous that this super intelligent AI would be so restricted to, you know, doing robotic movements or the way that he like turns his head first before swiveling his body to move. It was very kind of Terminator-esque. Um, it just seems to me that if STEM would have wanted to be more efficient, and if nothing else, at least blend in a little bit better because he is a you know, a computer chip that has taken over a human's body, way to draw attention to yourself by, you know, walking differently, I guess is is a very, uh, you know, poor way of phrasing it, but it just seems like he would have taken advantage of the fluidity of human movement as opposed to just restricting himself to the... Um, let's move on with the treasures. I appreciated how the director gave Gray, quote-unquote, superpowers without you know exposing him to radiation or anything like that stem has full control over gray's entire body systems Uh, he can increase gray's reaction time uh, and uses gray's senses to process information but gray is still human and it is well known that humans have safety limitations in place, put in place by the body to prevent harm. Now, in life-threatening situations, those safety blocks are removed and the body is full, pumped full of adrenaline that dulls your sense of pain, increases your blood flow, and generally prepares you to either run or kick some ass. And this is called the fight or flight mode. That's why you hear these stories about mothers lifting cars up off of babies. The problem is, This heightened strength and alertness is not sustainable. And in the end, Gray still has human bones. They're not reinforced. So any sort of crazy acrobatics could lead to serious injury. 
So while he increases Gray's reaction time and maybe speed by removing these these uh, these blocks that the body has put into place, uh, pumping them full of adrenaline so he can move faster, he can hit harder, they don't make him rely on the robot or some sort of super serum to do that. So I really appreciated that. The fight scenes were fantastic. I, that was one of the times that I really truly did appreciate the... Uh, robotic movement of stem in fact there was a scene when he's beating up the first soldier and i forgot and stem has taken control of his body and stem's just like using his body to break plates all over this guy's head and gray's just like oh god why oh god and i was just busting up laughing that entire time so that was that was really hilarious uh, the death scenes I thought were very good. They definitely had that Blumhouse kind of feel to it. I, I can't really describe it, but you know when you're watching like a Blumhouse death scene. It wasn't really over the top and full of gore, you know, like in the saw and all that kind of stuff, but it was enough for you to like wince and you know, appreciate it. And then my final treasure was the ending. I loved the ending. Not all stories have happy endings. Sometimes the bad guys win. This time the winner was a self-aware AI that could calculate, predict, and adapt to current situations on the fly. When you take a step back and you think about it, this ending was really inevitable as humans are ruled by their emotions and because of that they can be manipulated and used. AIs don't have those shortcomings they are ruled by pure logic which is why in a lot of similar movies or similar scenarios the human race is wiped out because we are destructive this ending didn't sugarcoat didn't provide the stereotypical happy ending where the protagonist rides off into the sunset the bad guy won and i also like that uh they didn't become like buddies and I'll get into this in my Trash and Treasure, but like I'm glad that they didn't become buddies by the end and like they didn't come to a mutual understanding a la Venom. Yeah. Like I'm glad that like they went with the uh, the bad end, if you will. Yeah, as I was taking notes during this movie, I really did feel that in the beginning, Stem had Gray's interest yeah. in mind. Definitely. You know, he was there really to benefit gray and it wasn't until the ending happened in that final twist where it should have been totally predictable but the way that it was framed how he was helped helping him the slow nudging uh towards um you know what what stem wants versus as opposed to what gray wants i thought they did it very well and uh that's it for me tj what is your trash and treasure that was very well thought out. Mine are a little bit more superficial. Um, I really didn't like Aaron, this that weird blonde guy that was like in charge of all of the computer stuff. Like he was just really weird and seemed like, uh, um, I don't know if you guys saw like um, Charlie's Angels, but the guy that always ripped out their hair. Oh, yeah. You know, uh-huh. weird, you know, yeah. It just seemed yeah. like really weird and creepy. Yeah. Um, Crispin Glover. Yeah. yeah. Crispin yeah. Glover, you're right. Yeah. I also didn't like the sneeze robots. Like what the fuck? That's so weird to me. Like, why? Oh, yeah, yeah that the, took me out of it, too. Not like, that's lie. so stupid. <laughs> it's it's funny because, like, when I see shit like that, I think, like, Blade Runner, Ghost in the Shell. I think, like, super, super, super far advanced cyberpunk. And I feel like, as we were discussing earlier, Upgrade is very uh, tame cyberpunk, where it's, like, near future. 
and so we still have like Honda Civics and like Nissan Sentras driving around and shit. But it's just like we have like sneezable nanobots that go into people's brains and kill them. It's just like if if you would have told me this is like a hundred or two hundred years in the future, I could believe it. But then we'd also have to move the rest of the movie up to catch up with it. And I kind of feel like um, that runs in direct contradiction to what we had discussed earlier where like we wanted to make this entirely believable but to have that level of technology seems a little absurd in this kind of like more grounded world that we're in so i I kind of agree with you yeah also i'm like where were those things they're just chilling waiting and that is a great question i was wondering that myself does he have a pouch that he loads them in right does the body create them for him well they didn't mention that he was like super upgraded yeah it's like he had a lot of enhancements then also it's like And also, why not just shoot him? Like, you know, like you have a gun in your arm. Why sneeze robots? I don't know. I I just thought it was really stupid. Um, The witty banter between Gray and Stem at first I thought was like funny, but it didn't seem original. And then the more the movie went on, I was like, this is all right. Oh, you get it. You're trying to be witty. So I didn't like that. Um, I know a lot of you guys. I mean, I guess knowing that this guy also did Saw makes sense, but I thought it was gorier than it needed to be, and it really caught me off guard, me and and Kyle, actually. Um, There were like a few times that I was like, oh my God, because it just comes out of nowhere where just gore for gore's sake, I guess. Was there like a standout gory moment in that movie that brought you to this conclusion? There, there were a few. What I will say is the the first sort of gory moment was the first fight scene with Stem and the original, like the the first bad guy, mm. and the knife is like he pretty much like chops his head, like splits his head open yeah. through the mouth, like a la Joker, um, and that's kind of when I was like, oh, okay, so that's what we're in for. Like this is mm. where we're, this is what we're, this is. But when that happened, like I said, it caught both Kyle and I off guard, and. Um, and then, you know, throughout the movie, there's more, but that was like the one I was like, shit, okay, we're in it. Did the surgery catch you off guard too? No, not really. It was pretty graphic. Yeah, yeah it was. It was pretty graphic. Really? I kind of felt that the surgery was scene, scene was pretty tame. Like watching it again, um, I was kind of like, do they show like the, the actual surgical process or do they just kind of cover it up? And then as soon as they like cut it open and showed the spine and the yeah. blood, etc., yeah. I was like, okay, I remember now, this movie is pretty gory. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I also don't think that the movie needed it, but you know, more than anything, it just caught me off guard. Um, And then my final trash is like, what is all this for? What do we, what's the point? Who made these upgraded humans that killed them? Why is Stem doing all this? I get it, he wants to take over a body, fine. He had that halfway through the movie. It's just like, I don't understand, like, there are more questions than answers in this film, I think. Which sucks, because I think it just leaves a lot left to the imagination, I guess. Um, As far as treasures, uh, you know, I actually did like the um, actor's movements, uh, not only when Stem was in control, but also um, his movements as a quadriplegic, you know, all the research that he did in trying to do that justice, I thought is really interesting hearing Kerwin talk about it. But like, you, you guys know how hard it is to like move your head and your face so much and emote so much, but then not move literally any other part of your body. It's very hard to do that because your body naturally wants to move uh, with your emotion that you're portraying. So it was, I thought he did a really great job with that. I also like the camera work, you know, Kerwin, you talked a little bit about how they were able to make that happen. I thought it was interesting, not something that you see very often, uh, lended itself to the fact that it w- was sort of like robotic movement, like the, the movement and the camera work, I think worked really well together. 
And then I also liked that there was like a non-binary person formerly known as Jamie in here, uh, the hacker. I thought it was interesting on a couple different levels. Number one, this movie came out in 2018. Um, to have a non-binary person in there and address it so dead on was interesting. But then also like STEM is very binary, right? Because he's a computer. Uh, so I also thought that was like a cool little thing. And then my trash and treasure, like it's a combo trash and treasure is at the very end when he wakes up and he's in the hospital and his girlfriend's alive. And for a second, Kyle and I are like, oh, this is like all a dream. He was in a bad accident and whatever. And then we go right back into STEM kind of explaining that uh, Gray's mind has been broken and he's in a better place, which then you are immediately let down again. So I thought it was really well done and it kind of gave you like that false sense of hope for like a quick second and then it was taken away from you. And that was the intention, that's what it did. And I thought that was like, incredibly done because it just kept me guessing till the very end. It's like Gray was partitioned off to like the back part of the brain. It's like, all right, I'm, I'm the captain now. Yeah. <laughs> so when Gray first woke up in the hospital and you're kind of led to believe that this was all a dream, my opinion of the movie tanked. I was like, fuck this, not another dream sequence trope. I'm done. Like it built, it just crushed all the goodwill that this movie uh, built up. It was like uh, Savages. Yeah, it was kind of like Savages. Mm, yeah. um, but then they pulled it back and they explained it logically. Gray's mind broke. I stuck him in the corner back there and it pretty much redeemed itself. And you see uh, at least two points in the movie prior that he hallucinates his wife uh, calling to him. And and I believe what that is, uh, is Stem trying to get, and this all happens after Jamie performs that kind of um, restriction removal or whatever. Mm. Um, this starts happening after that restriction removal is applied to Stem, and you start seeing the blue mystic Power Ranger show up calling calling out to Gray at least twice before this. So I you know, as soon as that happens, that's how you know that Stem was already trying to take over this dude's body. By the third time we see it, you know, rule of threes in movies, Stem has achieved his goal of taking this body, which was his goal the whole time. And you yeah. realize that it wasn't just a thing that was decided at that moment. Like Stem from the very moment he got that restriction lifted, um, he was trying to take over Gray's body. So I thought that was a cool thing. I thought that was his MO the whole time. He used to put him through traumatic events to kind of like break his mind and stuff like that because he just lost his wife and all that other stuff. But his whole MO was to become free and independent. Exactly. And, and once he got that restriction removed, yeah. that's when you started seeing his wife he, pop up. He even started like back talking to like Grace, so to speak, like, oh, you ain't shit without me. Like, if I stop moving, like, you're quadriplegic again. He says it's like he knew what he was doing the whole time, or Stem knew what he was doing. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> Dominic, what's your trash and treasure? My trash and treasure. Let's start with my trash. I have a few things and more so just questions. Questions that I had while watching the movie. Again, just recently. Um, I was like, the police couldn't see that the culprit didn't have a gun when he shot the wife. Like, if you just do like a simple zoom in, you can kind of see that there's no like right. gun in the hand. So I'm just like, what are the police doing? They have one person on the case and, you know, Detective Cortez and right. thoroughly watched the video or what? Like, I don't know. That just seemed odd to me. And then uh, the non-binary individual. How did this individual tap into STEM? I didn't see any, like, connections or anything like that when this person is updating the code and all that stuff. Bluetooth, to remove bro. This, 
It's Bluetooth? Wireless, a- wireless access so point. Hooked up to the Wi-Fi of STEM. Wow. <laughs> I was I was a little bit confused in both yeah, both times it. of watching. I was like, how is this person connecting to it? So they whip out a bunch of cords, right? Yeah. But like they don't ever connect them to stem yeah. to, or his spine directly. It's just like, oh, I'm I got a computer chip in my back. Help me, help me! And they whip out a bunch of cords, throw them on the floor, and then when it's when uh Fisk and his homeboy run it up the stairs, like they put all the shit back in the suitcase and they run off. But I'm just kind of like. You never connected anything to Gray. Yeah. What was the point of all those cables? Yeah. Yeah. That was my only speculation as to how that was, you know, accomplished. And then uh, I put Aaron in there, the blonde genius or whatever. I just feel like he was trash. Uh, I get it was like a plot device for like the Same. whole movie, but like he let his uh, in- intellectual curiosity best him by complying with everything STEM wanted, whether it was morally or ethically wrong, just for the sake of science. And I feel like, I don't know. Also, I just don't understand. Like, if he could shut him down remotely, why didn't he just shut him down immediately? Yeah. Like, I, I'm just so confused. Like, the whole thing. For for science, man, he wanted to see what what would happen. And also, if if he felt like, oh, STEM is eliminating me because I'm the only person that can create right. another STEM. Why didn't you just create another STEM to begin with? Why didn't you create the anti-STEM from the beginning if you knew this motherfucker was that powerful like if stem could go off with gray right and say oh my god this guy's gonna shut me down etc uh there's nothing i can do about it and stem is shown to have a moment of weakness that means that at any time aaron could have created some sort of uh safety protocol or anti-stem to combat stem at any given time like why didn't you make that from the beginning it's not like stem has his eyes on you at all time like the fact that you're able to or that stem is quote unquote afraid of you because you can do this and you have the means to like why why didn't you make that yeah so i have a theory on this my theory is that stem was initially designed and created using the computers for his company so a small aspect of stem is probably still in his internal network and is able to communicate with the physical version of stem inside gray's body so this is just a crazy theory but i believe because stem is able to access and like search online and all these kinds of stuff I believe that STEM would know when, uh, what's his name, uh, Aaron is trying to create. So he's so, too, too powerful for him to create. But like, here's my thing though, it's just like, so then if that's the case, then STEM should be able to keep him from shutting him down at any time. And I agree with you, like that, that could be a thing, but like mm-hmm. if that's the case, if STEM is ever present, why the fuck isn't STEM able to stop Aaron from coding to shut him down if he's omnipresent within all his you know hardware and software? Uh, yeah, like I said, just way more questions and answers on this one for me, but go He ahead. knew how to code, but didn't follow a code of ethics. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say he wrote that this morning? I did. Oh, <laughs> I was, oh, I was, oh I was my testing god! It. I can't believe you guys write these down. And the shit like, talking continues. Like, like I told you, I was like, how's this, how's this work? This oh morning, this morning, I thought that was like off the cuff. This morning he made the joke, and I was just like, you should probably say it like this, but like, 
you should like deliver it like this. Or like, okay, like, you, you had some director's notes. Like yeah. we 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 practiced. My, it was a little bit longer. I think what was the original <laughs> one? It's like it was like it was like he didn't follow like the moral code and the code of ethics. Well, and it's like no, you should probably like shorten it down, yeah. like deliver it this way. Yeah. Thank you guys for laughing. I appreciate the reactions. Okay. <laughs> now, now that I know that it was rehearsed, uh, yeah. Too late. The delivery <laughs> could use some work. It's so funny because like two weeks ago, I told Jason, I was just like, you know, I write a lot of my jokes. <laughs> That's so funny. I don't write anything except for no. like my notes. That was my first one I wrote, to be honest. I, I write a lot of my jokes too. Man. Next time we need like a signal, so we can like, ah! <laughs> like yes. get one of those applause signs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Recurring, you could get a laugh track. Yeah. Ooh. Just make one. We have one. Oh, good. Perfect. Can you put of it? All of us? Is can it you... a studio audience laugh track? Yeah, it is. Oh, can, oh, you, okay. can you put it at the end of that dumb sentence? Definitely can. Perfect. Thank you. I'll, put, I'll add Thank it right you. now. <laughs> there it was. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, studio audience. All right, let's go to my treasure. Uh, I love this movie, to be honest, but uh, uh, I appreciate that they let the quadriplegic stage marinate in the movie they didn't just move past it they actually sewed his you know his anguish his despair and the montage of daily life yeah that um i appreciate that they sat on it and they showed like him just like really down and then so that way when stem came into the picture it was a lot more um it had more of an impact because now we see how essential stem was to him getting all the stuff done and to his daily life and all the other things to that end, though, I would like to say that the quadriplegic aspect of the movie never really left because yeah, even yeah. after he was implanted with STEM and able to move, he was still forced to kind of pretend with everybody that he loved and he cared about. So yeah. it was a prominent aspect in this but, movie. But yeah, what I'm saying is like they, I'm glad they showed it more in yeah. the, the beginning aspect so that way. It wouldn't just be like something that just glanced over right. or something. Like right. when he like breaks down with yeah. his mom and it's like, you know. Or even he's trying like, to commit suicide. With yeah. Like the, yeah. Was it the PM medicine or something like yeah. that? Yeah. 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 So I, I appreciated that. I love the fight scenes. I appreciate the gore, the, just the pure brutality of it. Because he's, you know, completely out of control. And so, uh, you know, it just gets gory when it comes to those points. So you like the gore? I like the gore. It's funny because, like, if you watch the fight scenes and you look in the background, you can see Al Gore in no, the background. I knew you were going there. I, 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 I knew I it too. It. <laughs> as soon as he said Spidey the word gore, senses. I was like, "Oh God, here we go!" Don't mess around with with Al Gore. He's super serial, guys. Quiet. A whale is in danger. It's almost like this is an allegory. <laughs> hey. hey! I did not write that. Go. I did not write that. There you go. No laugh track needed for that yeah. one. Solid. Yes. Um, I like the cinematography. I actually appreciated like the the gun arm. I thought that was a pretty cool thing. I've never seen that in like a, mm. in any previous movies. I feel like correct me if I'm wrong. Have you guys seen that? Like him loading bullets into his arm and then like, I've never seen I never seen it that way. But like there there have been like other movies where like there's arm guns and shit. You know like sci- I mean, like anim- anime type shit. Or? I mean it's cyberpunk. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you have body modifications and all tor- to all types of uh, cyberpunk fiction. So like I mean it, it wasn't new to me. You've seen like the laser arms and stuff like that. But I'm talking like a like, like a, with bullets. And yeah, shit. with bullets. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Most <laughs> most gun arms you see in the films they like break apart and you know morph into some gun. So it was really interesting to just see 
a gun essentially in some guy's hand. Yeah. Yeah, because we kind of saw I like that, that. Yeah, because we kind of saw that in uh, like Black Panther with Claw. Yeah. yeah. But, but like you're, to your point and to your point, uh, Jordan, it's like we never see it like the practical bullet gun. It's always like some sort of like transforming arm type shit. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of times it's like the entire like lower limb is replaced with like an actual mechanic versus like being implanted into like your real arm. Uh, again, I like the last fight scene too. I like how, you know, when both the upgraded individuals are just going toe to toe, it just looked like some calculated like fight between these individuals. And I just, I really like the style that they chose to go with. And I don't know, it was just cool to see. Um, I, I like the cop, uh, Detective Cortez. I felt like she was smart and in- intuitive. And uh- she didn't do a good job with her job. Well, yeah, that yeah, <laughs> Smart too much trash. <laughs> yeah, she she was trash at watching fucking videos. But I mean, right. I feel like she was always on to him from the beginning. You yeah. know what I mean? So, I appreciated that aspect. And then the plot twist, I thought was just amazing. I think I left the theater liking it even more because of the plot twist at the very end. Yeah, at okay. the very end, the very end. When his mind breaks. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's my trash and treasure. Jason, what you got for trash and treasure? So trash and treasure, Jesus Christ. Uh, first. Tra- <laughs> First trash. Um, so when he is delivering that car to STEM, it looks like, um, and the, he asks the wife to follow him, she doesn't really follow him like the car does, but she's in the car with him. Why does she have to go? That's true. Like, can't the car just drive itself, follow him, he drops off the car, and then he hops back well, in? Well, I think he said in the beginning, uh, if I push one button, it's going to send me off to, like, yeah, because he like didn't that. know how to work it. Yeah. Oh, so he's terrified of it. But although yeah. the way that she worked it is just go home and then it just went yeah. home. So yeah. I don't know. But yeah, seems pretty uh, foolproof, but I don't know. But I will say, though, like when uh, when the car is going kind of ballistic, X versus Sever. Um, <laughs> you OK? Yeah. Boom. <laughs> boo me now. I need all the booze. I need all the booze. I'm gonna get a boo track too. There you go. That's yeah. a good one. I need yeah. a boo track. Boo. Trash. Some some, some, <laughs> my, some of my jokes are awful. Trash. So I need, I need a boo track. Trash. <laughs> uh, but um, there is a moment when uh, they're in that in the uh, the wife's car and it's uh, speeding and he's trying to get the car to stop and he cannot get the car to stop and the wife is the one that knows the proper commands like Kara stop Kara stop where he's just like stop please stop please stop. And the car doesn't respond. But when she uh, commands the car, the car says, sorry, error, sorry, error. Because, like, the wife knows, like, the proper command. So maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah, she's, like, hit the brake pedal twice and all that other shit. So yeah, she, that's true. She read the manual. <laughs> so fair enough. But, I mean, let's face it. If it's coded to voice, how could she not just write a simple post-it note that says, say this and you'll be back at home in 30 minutes? Jordan, you are 100% right. Or if it's like, hey, you're driving by a gas station, you're a little thirsty, you want to stop, just do this, car will stop, get your happy ass back in it when you're ready. So we're, I mean, look, when you're in a relationship, you're always going to drive your significant other's car, right? Yeah. You're always, at, at some point, you're going to drive your significant other's car. It's yeah. just like, you guys have been married for how many years and you haven't driven your wife's car once? Once? to know that shit and i know this contradicts what i just the point i made before but they they kind of express that in the movie but and i agree with you jason it's just like you've never driven your wife's car once like you guys are married i don't know some 
this is gonna be weird to say, but I feel like they he didn't. Because when the wife's like, oh, there's other reasons why it's good to have an automated car. And then she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and it's kind of like, a, I feel like that was kind of fresh. And they haven't been doing that. So. <laughs> but, but I kind of feel like you, you guys aren't just dating. You, you're yeah. fucking married. And you've never been in your wife's car once to know it or to drive it yourself. Like you, uh, And he's driving like a 70s Challenger. That thing's got to be broken down sometimes. Yeah. So you ha- and maybe you need to go somewhere. This fucking car has a steering wheel and pedals. I mean, it's got a manual mode. I don't know how he just fucking forgets how to drive. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so I I have nothing else to say. (laughs) That was my first trash. Case closed. I I think we already talked about this, but I was like freaking out when the car wasn't responding because I started to think like, hey, what if I get a self-automated car down the road and it stops? Like, okay, this is something I never thought about. Freaked me out a lot. Giving um, you anxiety just watching it? It's a little, like, well, because not anxiety, but it just like made you like go down a path I never thought of. Like, okay, so maybe, what, what is something like, could this happen yeah. in Tesla? I mean, you got a weird upgrade, the gatekeeper software is installed. <laughs> like, you just don't know what could happen. Frankly, I'm surprised that like, these, these Teslas Bullocks. don't have. <laughs> frankly, I'm surprised that these Teslas don't have like a manual kill switch just somewhere in the de- in like the glove compartment for emergency situations you know like that that'll just fry the car's engines or systems and stop and that's the thing that uh the director kind of looked into is just like uh we're kind of designing ourselves out of relevance we design these things to do things for us but like the moment where these things fail us we we overlook and and you're exactly right like there should be a manual switch that you just pull on or turn that removes all control from the uh the digital device or the ai and allows you to pilot your vehicle uh manually and it's just like uh these things have been designed for comfort and convenience so that the uh the thought of even having to pilot these things manually leaves the mind completely which is fucking stupid freaked me out um his beard after three months like it looked oh, yeah. really bad it did there's a couple angles that looked like, like it was just like ugh. glued on there that was I'm another like, time where i was like oh it's like shit and it looked kind of burly for three months i was like that's pretty burly um all this all the tech that they do they put stem in they do all the surgery but we're still using staples to close the wound don't you think that with all the tech, we'd be a little past staples now, maybe something else? When I was in high school and I was uh, playing uh, baseball, I sliced my eyelid open. I don't know if I still have the scar today, but like uh, I sliced my eyelid open and it was like hanging off my eye. And they use like this fucking crazy like surgical glue that like evaporated, right. but it acted as stitches. And I'm just kind of like, that was 2005? And we don't have something similar to that in 2040 something. Like, yeah. come on. Do you think that would work on like a spinal kind of thing? That's well, a they can only use major, that. You know? But not staples. Liquid stitches. Yeah, like, like, you you think in the future things. where we have like eye lenses. Yeah. Right. Yeah, at yeah, that, for sure. That operate like vinyl tapes, we would have something better. Yeah. True. So here's the thing about the staples they didn't even pinch the skin closed to staple it, which is what you need to do. They just kind of stapled it, but there was a significant gap in between the two (laughs) different portions of skin. So those staples were fucking pointless. Yeah, I just, I I didn't like that scene at all. I used to work at staples. (laughs) How many surgeries were you a part of? Zero. 
Yeah, I guess they. I'm an expert. They needed to take a. They needed to take a page out of your book on how to use tables. Oh God! No laugh. No laugh track for that one, guys. Um, I think uh, STEM gets kind of creepy. All the internal talking at some points. I don't know. I I wasn't digging it the whole time. Um, The sneeze, like we talked about, was over the top. I think the gun arm was dumb. I just, I, I just think you can only load a bullet at a time, and you shoot, you shooting off a lot of rounds. Yeah. And it's just like just the practicality of it. Like I would be terrified to do anything with the arm, the goddamn gun in it. I thought it was a, just a cool concept. Maybe, maybe the practicality didn't come to my initial thinking, but I was just like, oh, okay, that's. Hmm. It was a new. I, I didn't it see. It. I haven't yeah. seen that type of thing before. Well, you know what that. they say, guys: sun's out, guns out. You got the upper dorsimus connected to the. I don't know if you heard me, but I did about a thousand of them. Anchorman. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> no laugh track for that one either, guys. Preaching. Uh, <laughs> uh, he killed Fisk too easily, I think. I don't know. I, I liked the fight scene, but I thought it was kind of important, and we were building up to this. And I think it could have been a little longer. I think it was like too short. It was too over, easy. Over, like it was building, 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 and then it was like, boom, over. Because the first fight, like you were talking, TJ, the gore, everything. It took a little longer. You got to learn a lot more, um, and then like the end was just like really like gory. Still, I think that was the most intense gore scene myself too. And when I I was like anticipating this fight up until the point, and then it happens, and it's like short, and it's I, I felt it was kind of easy. I agree with you, man. Uh, I just think like uh, we talk about Fisk, and we show him throughout the movie being this kind of like menacing villainous presence. We have our protagonist who's like a rough and rugged analog guy and then we have this guy who has uh, embraced technology and he's like clean shaven has like the mustache speaks very politely etc our protagonist is very uh, rugged and speaks very roughly cusses a lot and Fisk is way more machine than man compared to uh, Grey and I feel like that fight I'm not, I'm not talking like I don't need something like Matrix Revolutions type type fight where it's like end of the world crazy choreography but i feel like that fight was a little more anticlimactic than i would have liked it to be considering like you know he's been like man versus machine this whole movie Mm -hmm. and now we finally have another guy he talks about being the upgraded says it in the movie is the title of the movie and it's just like i expect this fight to be much more intense because not only do we have the uh the fight relating to who may or may not have killed his wife, but we have the philosophical fight as well, whereas this guy has completely embraced the machine part of himself, and Gray, while still you know using STEM, is still not 100% on board. I, I feel like this fight should have been way more dramatic, way more uh, significant in the way it's portrayed and choreographed. So I had a couple of issues with that final fight. First and foremost, did you guys realize that Fisk was the brother of the first dude that Gray killed? That's exactly what I was going to touch on because yeah. I feel like you know he's embraced the, you know, the technology and stuff like that, and he talks about him being like you know above humans and like the upgraded species or mankind stand with me and stuff like that. But they, again, his downfall was him giving into his emotional state because you know Gray started talking shit about his brother and how he killed him, and so. I feel like that is like a poetic kind of thing. It kind of like uh, there's an irony to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of like brings him down a little bit. That way, you're not you're not above being human at all. Right. 
And I get that. But the thing that I didn't really like is we've seen in flashbacks and earlier parts of the movie that Gray knows how to exploit emotions. By the way, he tells Aaron, like, hey, say this to him to push him to come and, you know, be part of this experiment. Or, hey, say this to him to get him to tell you. Uh, what you want to know but in this last fight scene stem is like i don't know what to do anymore please you're on your own essentially and so it it just how could you how could you not remember to exploit this guy's brother it just it didn't make sense that it just felt like stem was so helpless in that last fight i think i think that comes down to you know people that people operating on two opposite sides of the spectrum you have Stem, who's very ones and zeros. You have uh, Gray, who's a human and very emotionally driven. Like Stem is operating on terms of practicality. What fight move works best? What counter works best? What attack works best? But like this whole movie, we've seen Stem operate only against people that are human. You know, we can count Fist's brother. We can count uh, the dude that gets his head blown off or whatever. But it seems like uh, Fisk is the most machine out of all the humans they fought that are trying to assassinate him. And I think what happens is, is that Stem has finally met his match. And I wish they would have delved into that more. But I think the significance of this is that it takes more of the human aspect of Grey to defeat this guy. He provokes him, he lures him into uh, you know, lowering his attack or defense so that uh, Grey and Stem can defeat him that's the only way like by provoking him emotionally it's the only way that we can achieve this victory and that's the thing that i like too because like they showcase this moment in the movie which leads you to believe like oh like they're a team now stem has been helping gray out this whole movie and finally gray proves to be more useful than stem in one way right by helping defeat uh fisk by provoking him emotionally which makes the twist at the end even more crazy because you would think they'd become buddy buddy by now but that does not happen which makes the twist you know more impactful yes i didn't like that fight (laughs) 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 and then last thing was uh maybe this isn't gross but when he took the the phone the earphone out and just like took it out and then like put it in his ear i just thought that was kind of weird i don't know cringe a little bit Was there a title? So I'm going to go to my treasure. Was there no title screen? No. I think it was at the end. Yeah, Just but it. like in the beginning, there was no title screen, right? It was okay. all it was all vocal, and all the computer graphics you see are uh, designed with the sound waves of the voice. Yeah, yeah. so I thought that was kind of cool. Um, the opening song was from Wolf of Wall Street, too, so I kind of like that. I, I thought it was cool how quickly he got his wife seat buckled into the seat right before the crash. I was like, damn, like that's some pretty crazy reflexes to like anticipate that and then just like slam her in the seat and like seat buckle her in to protect her. I thought that was cool. I think that going quadriplegic was like not overboard, but a lot. Like it really showed like, hey, he suffered a lot and how much STEM can do. Like they could have made his his legs immovable and put him in a wheelchair right. um, or, or, you know, something maybe less severe, but they like went all out and showed like STEM can really take over the whole body and get someone to walk again. I thought that was like a brave move to do that. 
I thought the NDA that they made him sign made the movie even more interesting, like where he cannot tell anybody. I think that is a hindrance throughout the movie with him a lot, like up until a point when he tells his mom and stuff like that. But like at first it's like, well, I can't tell you or I got to pretend I'm still quadriplegic, which he not pretending he technically is, but like he has pretend he doesn't have STEM. Um, I thought that was a, a, a good twist on the movie, too. I liked how the chip took over with the fights like we've all been talking about. The first kill was brutal. It was kind of gory, but I liked it. He says he calls someone at one point cocksnot. <laughs> <laughs> and that made me chuckle. Jizz. Yeah. 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 But he calls someone cocksnot. And I was like, that's a good one. I'm going to use that one. Pre-pump. Write it down. <laughs> Um, and then my last treasure is um, when he when he blew the dude's head off with his own gun arm. Like he turned the arm against oh, yeah. him. I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's I'll, pretty cool. Yeah, that's the only point I like the gun arm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's a my trash and treasure. Uh, my trash and treasure. I'm not a fan of the uh, voice reading of the opening credits. I like oh. the visual of it. I like the visual of it, mm. but like it just reminds me of like mixtapes where somebody's like yelling out the producer's name, yelling out the rapper's name, etc. Like it just reminded me of a mixtape. I don't know why. DJ drama. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just the whole Tyler album. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I yeah, I wasn't a fan of that shit. Um, I am not a fan of computers talking all the time unannounced. Like I said this in a demolition man, like you walk home, you had a long day at work. And it's just like, you have 56 messages, and uh, this is cold, and uh, here's the temperature, and there's traffic, and uh, you have 33 videos saved on your DVR. And I'm just kind of like, can I just come home and relax? Where's my big piece of chicken? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just It just irritates me. Um, uh, one of the major things is just like, how was STEM in control of this whole company? We kind of discussed this earlier, but STEM is in control of this whole company uh, has its software or its fingers everywhere. Like, what is stopping Aaron from creating something else or off-site? Like, if Aaron, as an individual, is the only person that can create a counter to STEM, why doesn't he just rent a motel somewhere off-site with completely different software? Buy a new computer that's not attached to his company or something like that and just build STEM. You know what I'm saying? It's just... It just doesn't make sense that we we have STEM who is in complete control and who has orchestrated this whole plot, but at any given time, Aaron can shut him down remotely or have enough time to type in a code that shuts him down remotely where Gray can become quadriplegic again. I was just gonna say, this all reminds me of the What If episode, episode eight. Have you guys watched it yet? I haven't watched it. What If, no? I haven't what watched if, it, no. I don't wanna spoil it then. The other thing that I would say though is like, Unlike some of the other technology taking over things, movies, where like things start out good and then technology eventually becomes bad, like STEM seemed to be bad from the start. You know what I mean? Like he orchestrated all of this so that he could get implanted into this guy's body. It it just seems like you would have been able to stop STEM before that point, right? Versus like doing it like organically for good reasons, and then STEM is like corrupted through some sort of whatever. It just seems stupid. To kind of build on your point, I kind of almost wish there was like a like a prequel kind of like short film with just Aaron and then how it was all developed and why he was yeah. afraid of STEM. Maybe that would have been cool to see. Yeah, because he talks about like, oh, we're not allowed to test this yet, and this yeah. is why I'm giving this to you, because you can be a live test and 
But by the way, like stem is just a chip on a table that I can remove at any time and put in a lead box, like just so that he can't connect to anything. Well, just I think break he, it. I think he was an AR first, and then he just compacted it into that chip. Maybe. But but that's the thing. Like nobody says that. Nobody yeah. explicitly says that. And I just want to add on to that. You know, while we end the movie with stem obviously in control over Gray's body, I know I had talked about it earlier about maybe a potential sequel. It does seem like as cliche as it is world domination is like the next step you know uh stem proved to himself that he can take over a human and how long before stem determines the entire human race to be worthless and then proceed to wipe out i mean there's our judgment day right there yeah it's like uh was it rise of the planet of the apes kind of feels like that but this this is the the starting point of all the other bullshit we're gonna deal with next. He's the same as Skynet, you know? It, it, it is a, an, an analogy for Skynet. Yeah. Um, the other major thing I have a problem with is just like, I wish we would have seen more conflict between the uh, quote, upgraded versus the uh, analog people. We have people like Gray and um, Cortez who are very much still ingrained in the way society used to operate outside of being ingratiated into uh, the technological aspects of life. But like when Fisk shows down with uh, Stem and Gray, he talks about like, oh, you're one of us, you're the upgraded. And uh, I forget which one of you mentioned it, maybe it was you, Dominic, or TJ, but it's just like, we have this these group of guys, you know, ex-military that are fully outfitted with, uh, you know, bio weapons included in their arms and like, you know, mechanical features and graphs and whatnot. And I'm kind of like, I feel like this is a major plot point that we should explore. Like, is there a whole subset of humanity that is a fully accepted technology uh, into their being and that they feel that they're a superior race? Like, what is going on with that? Who built you guys? Like, what is what is their goal in all of this? I, I kind of feel like there's, there's a much larger discussion to be had by having Fisk give that speech. Because if Fisk doesn't give that speech, it's perfectly fine. That's fine. Maybe we could just say it's like, Blade Runner or Ghost in the Shell or any any cyberpunk uh, or The Matrix or any cyberpunk uh, feature that has humans with technology built into them. But like the fact that he says like, you're one of us now, who is us? What is the goal of us? Like that's something I wanna know. Like yeah. what what is that? And I, I kind of feel like we lose that. It would have been cool to have like different subsets of uh, humanity or the culture to say like, hey, we're against technology maybe there's another subset that's just like hey we're just doing our thing and maybe there's the other end of the spectrum where they're just like we reject all of this shit like we want to drive these old cars we want to live in a new crown or whatever like that that would have been something to explore and i feel like we should have had more of that you touched on it he's like oh one of these chips is like 10 10 men out of work you know what i mean but to your point, probably should have seen more of that divide, but they did mention it a little bit in the movie. Yeah, they, they definitely mentioned it, and that's that's more of his ideology, mm-hmm. but like they should have showcased that there's a larger portion of society that also believes what he believes yeah, and supports. Yeah, show, show don't tell, right? Yeah, show don't tell. Don't just say, because when you say it in this movie, it just sounds like he's the odd man out. But if you say it like there's multiple people that believe this, that like they got to reject technology or there's multiple people that feel like they should adopt it and unite with technology. That would have been a cool thing to explore. Would have made the movie like 15 minutes longer, but like if you're going to bring that up in the final fight where you have two ideologies fighting against each other, 
Like that's kind of something you need to you need to show during the movie. Another trash. What a fucked up way to go. Dying, watching your spouse die, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's that's fucked up. Um, we have enough time and resources to suspect and follow Gray around for murdering a murderer that might have murdered his wife, but not enough time to find resources to find said murderers. It's like you said, Dom, it's just like, I think either you or TJ said this, like, Stem could look at the screen and enhance and enhance and see that dude doesn't have a gun in his in his hand, mm-hmm. but like the police can't enhance and enhance. Like they, yeah. I just kind of like, you guys have access to the same, like he's in his home looking yeah. at this <laughs> right. stuff. And like, you guys probably have technology that's 10 times as powerful as this. I, I just thought that was stupid. And then, you know, we get Cortez making the excuses that, oh, these guys have firewalls and they can block the system, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, if this is so prevalent in society that you can just casually say this to a civilian, what steps are you taking to to kind of make sure that these actions don't circumvent the systems you have in place to help prevent or stop criminals? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And then uh, my last trash is, while I do not mind the motorized sounds that occur when STEM takes over, I feel like at the very beginning of the uh, Fisk versus uh, Gray fight, I feel like it's too much. Like, we've seen it the whole movie, but they're just like, and I'm just like, we get it. There's two machines fighting each other. We've seen it the whole movie. Like, they're they're going way, way too hard into that shit at the beginning of the fight. Uh, my treasure... I think uh, for the budget, I think it was like three mil, like you said, uh, Jordan. I think the production value for this movie looks great. The cinematography looks great. I think um, the color palette looks amazing. I think what they were able to do, you know, with uh, you know the eye recording where he sticks the pin in the dude's eye to see what he last saw, like little little hints of super heavy sci-fi were really cool. I'm not gonna lie, I watched Blade Runner 2049 right after this. That's um, a good one. Yeah, this is a good ass movie. Um, I like the stuff that uh, our lead actor is doing uh, with his body in the movie. The physical acting is great. Like you know, when he's just his regular self, he has this like slouch and this swag about him, this uh, casual physicality that works it contrasts to this like digitally entrenched and uptight world that he lives in and then like once stem is installed uh, you know all his movements seem to be like less natural he moves like a machine like he's doing the robot or he's pop locking like the way he, <laughs> he walks and moves the way he opens bottles and pours himself a drink is yeah. so different to the way he does all his movements at the beginning of the movie and then also his ability to portray you know quadriplegic you know only moving his neck and and not moving the rest of his body or like we had talked about before when he's fighting uh the first guy and uh he's just like smashing his head in with different uh you know dishes and he's just like what the fuck is happening (laughs) and like i love the physicality that it brings because it feels like he's not in control of his body so i really appreciate the physical acting in that in that sense um i do like the fact that at the end fight stem can't compete with fisk like we said before, like he's a computer fighting a computer, and I like that he asks Gray for help. It shows that STEM isn't completely invulnerable, but that lures you into a sense of uh, comfortability where you're like, oh, Gray proved himself useful for the first time in this movie, but that's what makes the twist at the end even more impactful. It's just like, you think they've united to become one entity, but that's not the reality at all. STEM was always trying to take over his body. Um, too many movies end up in a positive manner. I like that that we got that uh, the computer was after his body all along. It's like the $6 billion man, but bad. And I like that there's a certain irony in that because uh, Gray wasn't ingratiated into this uh, 
tech savvy or tech obsessed society that he was the perfect specimen for STEM because there's no other external technology in his body. He's like a pure human who has rejected all of this, which means it's the perfect body for STEM to take over. And then, uh, you know, when Talon tells Gray that uh, Fisk is behind his wife's murder, I was just waiting for like the kingpin to show up. So, yeah, that's, that's it. Uh, and then uh, my last one, uh, you know, the ending of this movie with the dream sequence reminds me of Repo Men with Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like halfway through the movie, uh, Jude Law like hits his head or something like that, chasing a bad guy, I think. And the movie goes on. But at the end of the movie, you know, they win, the good guys win, etc. But then like the whole movie like rewinds to that point where he hits his head. And then you find out that he actually injured himself during that jump or that chase. And then Forrest Whitaker has him uh, committed to a hospital or whatever, or uh, emergency services where they're playing back his ideal present or future in his head and the reality is is the bad guy got away and he actually hurt himself and now he has to live with cybernetics in him so like this reminded me a lot of repo men when i saw it yeah Yeah. but that's that's it for my trash and treasure i want to just put this out there just to be devil's advocate i know we all talked about how stem was really in it for himself his whole goal was to take over uh gray's body but What if putting Gray into that mindset or that place where he was with his wife uh, was Stem's mercy to him? Because that's what Gray really wanted to do was be reunited with that with his wife. And Stem could have put Gray really anywhere if he had this ability. He could have put him somewhere where, you know, he would never be able to come back or whatnot. But he allowed Gray to be with his wife as a final mercy. So we good? Yep. God, God yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go on to ticket prices. Jordan, how much are you paying to watch Upgrade? So Upgrade, while entertaining, uh, can also be seen as kind of a cautionary tale. The concept of AIs used to be these fantastical stories of what could potentially be, but now they are on the cutting edge. They are on the horizon. And if they aren't here already, Um, And they are to some extent. And sure, we might experience a golden age of technology, but it is the folly of humans to continue to push the envelope. So how long will it take before a rogue AI or a group of humans create an AI that looks to civilization as a disease and takes steps to wipe us out? Even though the movie ended with Stem being triumphant in his machinations and a cut to black, I believe that the world domination uh, road is one he will eventually walk down if he remains unchecked. Uh, I truly did feel that Upgrade was an enjoyable movie uh, with a relatable set of characters and top-notch action scenes. The slow reveal of the movie's final plot twist left me slapping my head and shouting, duh, but it really did feel along the way that stem had gray's best interest in mind and stepping back from that that's really what a machine in the situation would want a human like me to feel so i played right into that so with everything that i've discussed and the fact that i enjoyed this movie i'm gonna give it a 15. tj what are you paying uh all right so it it was a movie i watched it Mm -hmm. it was uh 
I, I will not watch it again. But there, you know, like I said, in Trash and Treasure, there were some good parts. I thought like the acting was was pretty good. The physicality, like Kerwin mentioned again, the camera work. There were there were some pieces that I thought were good. But overall, the the plot itself just has so many holes in it uh, that we've poked through in today's discussion. Uh, I will pay five dollars for this movie. Dominic, what are you paying? Oh, I really like this movie, like a lot. It's my type of movie. Good action, uh, you know, sci-fi thriller. Um, I'm going to go 20. Oh. Jesus. Okay. What is that? <laughs> I don't think that sounds good. I enjoyed the shit out of it. Yeah. That's, that's all I can <laughs> yeah. say. No, that's yeah. fair. That's fair. Okay. Uh, Jason, what are you paying? I'm struggling right now. I, I don't... I'm like between a, a soft 10 or a 5. Because there are some cool aspects to it. Um, but like to TJ's point, I'm not going to put this back on again. Um, especially if I have to spend three ninety nine to watch it. Um, and I also don't see myself like rushing out to tell people to watch this movie. Um, I'm not bummed that I missed it in theaters. Uh, I'm going to have to go with TJ and say five bucks too. Okay. Uh, I'm going to pay 15 to see this movie. I think uh, one of the things that I appreciate about this movie is that like not only does it kind of divert from like these these tropes where like oh man and humanity team up at the end because that's you know the greater good or whatever i i I like the fact that this movie ends uh and proposes a more dystopian future uh based on our protagonist's results uh i like that um this movie is short this movie manages to fit in the entire experience of being a regular man you know quadriplegic man as well as a man that is you know essentially upgraded of course with this technology and then betrayed by the very technology that he thought would assist him in avenging his wife like to fit all of that in an hour and a half or an hour and 40 minutes is pretty good on uh you know the uh, director and writer for this movie uh, i think the movie looks great i think the action choreography is great uh you know me i'm not a fan of gore but i think they they used it well enough in this movie and uh i'm definitely i'm definitely gonna give this give this a 15 so how much are we paying Everybody's uh, scores and an average taken into consideration. We are paying twelve dollars to see this movie. That's fair. I think twelve dollars. Okay good. with that. Yeah. yeah. I'm not. <laughs> I want your money. <laughs> you can't have it. Amazon. It Amazon has it. Yeah. Run it. You gotta, you gotta to- go talk click, to a click click. <laughs> you gotta go talk to Blue Origin up there. Yeah. Uh, but no, 12, uh, 12 is fair. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. But could we upgrade this movie by adding Tom Cruise? Uh, honestly, yeah. I feel like you would be Fisk. Off the top, this is immediate, my immediate reaction. Yeah, Fisk. Yeah, I think Fisk is a good pick. Honestly, put Tom Cruise anywhere. He, he could be the main guy. He could be Fisk. He could be the fucking bartender. He could be the cop. He could put him anywhere. He could be the, the computer guy, Aaron. Could, could he be STEM? He could be fucking STEM. Just who fucking cares? He could be STEM. Just put him wherever. See Tom Cruise's face going to the spine, like. Just <laughs> I'm physically. Just just deep fake it. <laughs> All right, so uh, twelve dollars for upgrade. Anybody got anything else they want to say? Nope. All right, so in the words of Tom Cruise, it's not Tom Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's it for this episode of $20 Ticket. Be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at $20 Ticket. That's $20 Ticket for more content. Follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and if you've got the time, leave us a review. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, send them to $20Ticket at gmail.com. That's $20Ticket at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to $32.50 ticket. <laughs> right? Oh, $20. Sorry. Oh, shit. Let's talk about our... Shouldn't have taken that shot. Might yeah. need another one. Oh, no. We're almost done, guys. This is it. Yeah. This is it. Make no mistake where you are. This is it. The one. waiting is over. <laughs> yeah, you know. It's pretty good. It. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I tried my best. Tell his oldest time. What's the winker password? Song is oldest right. Oh, um. <laughs> it's. It's that karaoke day where you're fucking girl with us. You okay? Alright. He's, he's ready to go. He's just like. He's like, five hours, I'm out. Trash, trash, and treasure. Let's trash, go. trash. Come on. Trash. Trash. No treasure. Five dollars. Five dollars. Trash. Not Tom Hardy. Can't be out of here. Wouldn't it be funny if at the end of this, fucking Woody Harrelson's in a cell? Like. <laughs> that would be funny. That'd be fucking hilarious.